Poima, can you hear me? Hey, Mariner, I was just about to close up this drill. I finally got Don't a perfect- finish that drill, Ensign? That's an order. Captain, but I, I beat the board queen in chess and I, I, I taught her empathy. Just stay in that drill. The crew is counting on you. Yeah, Shari Bing Bang is trying to screw us, but she can't until your drill is over. Just keep borging. I'm on it. Resistance is futile. <sighs> You know you've already lost, right? All you're doing is torturing that young officer. He'll be fine. He's one of our best. Yes. Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me on the bridge. This is Tyler Orton, torturing Cam, so you know what that means. You know what the real torture was? A while back, you pointed out to both myself as well as the listeners how much Boimler looked like you. I have never regretted knowing that information more than I did watching the latest episode of Lower Decks. <laughs> and we are going to talk about that episode this week. I excretus. <laughs> uh, wow. Way to use your imagination there, uh, Cam. <laughs> I was excreting tears. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, among other things. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I excretus. It, it, it's the uh, adventure in which the senior officers and lower decks switch roles as part of a drill simulation. Uh, you know, I Cam, I, I, you and I had some issues about how all over the place the first batch of episodes from the season really were. Um, they're really kind of nailing it down, in my opinion. They are finding like if we just kind of focus on one single storyline, we can touch upon all the characters throughout and get a far more cohesive narrative going on. I really like this one. I think this one, um, it works for me even more than last week just because it had that many more laughs than we got last week, which I, I thought was just like kind of the, the high point of the season so far. Yeah, I thought this one was a lot of fun. And it's, it's is this like Discover, or is this like Lower Dex's thing now to like have kind of a rocky first half of a season and then really solidify it by the end it's so weird this episode also i believe falls in place episode eight of the season which was where the episode veritas fell in season one and this episode in some ways felt very similar where it was putting the entire cast together for like a series of flights of fancies tied to a you know fairly basic easy to follow concept and having all these like scattershot just wacky concepts thrown around and i thought that episode was a blast and i thought this one was too yeah some definitely parallels there um i gotta ask like because you know let, let's not bury the lead here uh we talked a lot about uh the board queen news a couple weeks ago they had hired a new actress uh also from star trek uh but it wasn't alice Krieger. she makes her uh, long-awaited return it's been 20 years at this point uh, how excited were you or, or did you immediately think to yourself oh that's definitely alice Krieger," or did you kind of wonder for a moment um you know did they actually get alice Krieger to return as the board queen I had to wait for the credits on that one because my initial reaction was, A, is this just one of their, you know, um, character actors who work on the show who do multiple voices? B, is this perhaps the new Picard actor doing this performance here? And then finally C, no, I see from the credits it was Alice Krieger. So it was very exciting to have her back. Her, her voice did sound a little different. I'll, I'll be honest, like she sounds like a woman who's, I think she's like 
pushing 70, if not already past that uh, point in her life, which, you know, like, no knock against her. We discussed whether she was offered the role of Borg Queen in Star Trek Season 2, uh, or of Season 2 of Star Trek Picard. I just wonder if she said, like, hey, look, fellas, like, I really appreciate the offer. Um, I just don't want to put on this makeup, you know, for, like, uh, two hours in the morning and two hours in the evening and do this for multiple times uh, throughout the season. I, I think this is kind of the perfect thing for her. And I, I you know, I wonder how much uh, she got that this was just, like, a, a, a comedy. Um, she didn't bring comedic beats necessarily, but she did deliver some fun lines uh, coming from the Borg Queen here. Yeah, she had, like, one kind of wacky line of dialogue but most of it was played very straight i don't know that alice creek is known for her comic stylings from her work that i've seen um chariots of fire may have been a laugh right and i'm just not remembering right but um yeah like it was just so good to have her back and that's something i think the future of star trek animation opens up is that it may be um not particularly feasible in the future to have armin shimmerman come back in a live action quark performance or alice Krieg here doing the Borg Queen, but in animation, we can actually have these actors playing these roles long into the future. You know, we can have Shatner pop in as Kirk at some point down the road if we feel like it. There's a lot of opportunities to have the Star Trek characters as we know them reappear on this show or in other animated Star Trek shows that just can't happen in live action. I think if you cut enough of a paycheck for Shatner, he will come and do this. Like I, that guy. I don't think he really cares. Like he, he'll just sign up if the uh, if the money's right, or even if the money is very paltry. I think he'll go ahead and do it. Do you think that is like the most likely avenue we'll ever get to one Shatner's return to Star Trek after more than twenty five years? Definitely, I definitely think this is probably the best chance we ever have for seeing him back in Star Trek. And do you really think he commands that much? Because I see him pop up in like straight to video animated films and things like that. And I go, I, I'm sure he's well within their budget to get back. Uh, look, what, he goes in for maybe uh, three, four hours tops into like a voiceover booth, delivers uh, like, come on, he's not going to do a full episode, maybe like a, maybe 10 lines total. I'm sure like, like whatever paycheck you cut him, like he'll be happy with it. And this is a guy, he, he'll do anything. Didn't he miss... Um, Leonard Nimoy's funeral just to go to some charity event that he'd already been paid for or something? Yeah, that's correct, yeah. But I think those two had fallen out just prior to Nimoy's death. I don't know, it's a little bit murky exactly what went down, but I, I don't necessarily think that they were uh, best of friends uh, just prior to Leonard Nimoy's death, but I don't know, he, he, he'll he take the buck, I think, uh, more over like his own artistic sort of vision for himself. Yeah, for sure. And I would love to see, you know, George Takei back as Sulu at some point in the future. I don't know that the live actions are going to do that at some point, but Lower Decks, um, we've seen what George Takei can do in animation. You know, he's obviously on The Simpsons, or there's been, I think, a few Nickelodeon shows he's worked on as well. Like, the guy has a real knack for voice acting, and a show like this would give him a lot of room to play in. Is he coming back as one Admiral Chekhov, or is he playing an entirely new character? Because like his real-life voice, it doesn't sound anything like Chekhov from uh, the original series. Wait, did I say George Takei or Walter Koenig? Because I was I meant George Takei, but Walter Koenig, that works for him as well, too. You know, you did say George Takei. In my brain, I, I immediately thought, you know, 
bring me Koenig any moment. I I, I guess I also th- had a Spectre of the Gun on my head. Uh, I never sure. thought I would ever see a shout out to Spectre of the Gun. And when I heard that uh, Mariner had to go into like a Wild West simulation, I was thinking, of course, you know, you're thinking of, say, uh, a fistful of datas. That, that's what my immediate thought was. But to see the red backgrounds and the terrible, terrible sort of uh, backlot, like Old West backlot, I was like, oh, yes, you were delivering exactly what I wanted. Yeah, I thought that was fantastic. And I had the same assumption you did that we were going into Fistful of Datas. And I was just overjoyed to see that Spectre of the Gun uh, backlot look. And one thing, though, that jumped out at me was, and I don't know if it's an error or just something they didn't care about, but we saw on TNG they referred to it as the Ancient West, where I noticed here they actually said Old West on the uh, whatever, the computer roster. Oh, that's a bummer, because I always thought it was hilarious how they called it the Ancient West, like back in, uh, you know, uh, TNG era. So um, they're usually good about, like, getting in those kind of uh, references uh, to TNG. Uh, I never thought I'd get a reference to ethics of all episodes. (laughs) And the fact that they could bring, you know, much derided episodes among fandom and give them at least some value, if only comedic value. I mean, yeah, like hats off to them. Um, but uh, seriously, this is like one of those moments where I was, I was like laughing out loud at, at just how like bonkers it was to see uh, the return of uh, Klingons demanding ritual suicide. <laughs> and because he would put out his like back picking up a peanut. That was a great gag. <laughs> I mean, honestly, picking up the peanut isn't really that far off of barrel falling on wharf. Uh, how are we supposed to stack things uh, when they look like this, Cam? <laughs> well, this concept for this episode, and I want to circle back to things like Naked Time and what have you, but um, this episode, the concept of it is so simple. It's just reverse the positions of the upper and lower ranks. And it was the sort of story where I was making notes like, why have we never seen this before? It reminded me a little bit of Discovery where we had the malfunctioning universal translator. And you and I, again, were like, how has this never happened before? This is a story I think you could have done on a lot of the other Star Trek shows that would have been really fun to watch. What would have been the one best suited for it in which you have kind of the uh, ensigns and junior lieutenants switching places with the uh, higher ranking officers? Because we're, we're mostly focused on those in kind of the uh the bridge crew but there might be some opportunities uh for this to have worked on other series uh more what what do you think well i think if you'd done a sequel to the episode lower decks from tng like maybe if we'd got an eighth season or they'd done that episode in season six for example we could have gone back in season seven and had an episode like that and those characters would have been established so it would have really had an impact it's a little tough i find when you look at shows like voyager where like the lower ranking people are often just on the bridge anyway. Yeah. So you don't get that separation that you would have had in the TNG example. Yeah, I, I'm trying to think about like, would it have been kind of Deep Space Nine where, where you had more folks like say Nog or, you know, Chief O'Brien who was a non-commissioned officer, even though he was serving aboard the bridge or ops at all times. Like it's kind of, or what if uh, suddenly Rom is in command of the station? Like I wonder if Deep Space Nine would have been the one kind of better suited towards uh, a story like this. Is uh, Quark's bar um, part of the storytelling? Like who's serving at Quark's bar that day? <laughs> uh, Morn. <laughs> yeah, like DS9 is probably the show that would have had the most fun with it. I think they would have done a fantastic job. But honestly, I just would have killed to see, like, you know, Patrick Stewart 
playing Picard, going through like some of these menial tasks that the lower decks people would on TNG. I think there would have been so much fun there. Could you imagine one Ensign Worf having to take orders from anyone other than Picard? Oh, it would be amazing. Like, this episode needs to happen. We need to go back in time somehow and will this into existence. Because I just thought, watching this episode, obviously animation allowed them to do things you could never do in live action. And they definitely exploited that to the fullest. But just in terms of the character dynamics and the performances, I look at some of those older shows and just think... Oh, that would have been amazing. The one show I'm like, that would not have been that great would have been Enterprise, I think. Yeah, I mean, like, you already have Hoshi and Mayweather aboard the bridge at all times anyways. So, like, and, and what what would you have had, like, Ensign, or sorry, uh, uh, Commander Kelby switch places with Commander Trip? Yeah, exactly. It would yeah. mostly just be people switching chairs for an episode. <laughs> uh, do you remember uh, in Gambit Part 2, in which uh, Worf was promoted to First Officer while Data has temporary command of the ship, and all Worf could do is roll his eyes at Data's uh, commands and like try to undermine him the, other, uh, the entire time? Like That's maybe the closest that we ever got to this. Yeah, that was actually a really fun example. Aren't they like meeting with a Klingon who was played by maybe an NBA player or something. That is that true. One? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that whole sequence I remember and Data questioning him and Worf looking a little awkward, yeah. <laughs> okay. So there's just so much fun stuff going on. Uh, you brought up the, the naked time sort of uh, deal. Uh, I also want to highlight, uh, well... <laughs> I'm not sure I want to highlight uh, too much that went on in the uh, in the bar, but the uh, the scratches all over Shax's uh, back, like that made yeah. me laugh, you know, because uh, for of course him and uh, Dr. Tiana have that relationship. But some um, other kind of weird sexual stuff, I think, going on. But um, you know, uh, Billups and Rutherford talking about how torture makes them horny. And, <laughs> yeah, that was in the Mirror Universe. Yeah, yeah, in, in the Mirror Universe. A- yeah, that was a fun payoff um, following the episode last week where we established, um, you know, more about Billups' background. So, like, it was playing off that episode just beforehand. I thought that was really fun. Well, the other genius thing they did is because we all know that if you're in the Mirror Universe, uh, dudes have goatees. But Billups already has a mustache. So I like how they gave him one of those, like, Amish beards to kind of, like, be the opposite of his mustache. Like, I thought that was genius. Yeah, yeah. One thing... A bit of a complaint I have, a very slight complaint in the scheme of things, but there's that other character, the one obsessed with Ransom, who we see like riding on his back in the naked time. Oh, is that Stevens, I think? I think it is Stevens. Visually, I often mix him up with Billups because there's a similar character design. Just when they like flash to them fairly quickly, it takes me like that split second. Yeah. Um, another moment in uh, the Mirror Universe, though, uh, was with uh, uh, Miglimo, the uh, the ship's counselor, just sitting on that perch with kind of like, <laughs> was it a, a like a gimp's mask that he was wearing? It looked very Pulp Fiction, yeah. Yeah, so I'm just like, okay, let's uh, let's go with it. But uh, okay, Cam, I can't believe what, like, what was it, like six weeks ago that you and I watched Bem yeah. uh, from the animated series, and we had finally the return of a Pendronian, as I believe uh, the drill instructor was called. And like, I, like, that is kind of the perfect space alien to bring back um, for like Star Trek Lower Decks. Like, you can't really do that in any other series without it looking stupid. So if it's an animated series, like why not have like a a, a Pandronian like show up in like say Star Trek Prodigy? Like that would be a total hoot as well. Yeah, that's kind of the thing with Star Trek Prodigy. I don't know what to expect because it's set in the Delta Quadrant. So I don't know how is many it? of these. I, isn't it? I was under the impression it was, but am I we wrong? We keep going back and forth. I, I don't think they've ever said that explicitly though. 
Okay. Yeah. I, I'm just saying, like, it might be set there, but I don't believe I've read anything uh, official that has said it is. You know, like, uh, we, we, I think the aliens that we're following, they're all based in the Alpha Quadrant. So, yeah. yeah that's true. I, I, okay. I just wonder if maybe people made that assumption because they said that Janeway was coming back. And then if you look at the um, alien uh, that looks like Neelix, well, it's, uh, it's not actually a Talaxian. It is uh, ter- or not a Trellian. What, what are they called, Cam? Tellerite. Tellerite, yeah. So I think that's why there's some assumptions made about it taking place in the Delta Quadrant. So that's why I think there is a possibility for like a Pandronian to make an appearance here because we have tons of other uh, Alpha Quadrant aliens uh, on, I think it's the USS Protostar. That's the name of the Prodigy ship. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I would love to see just more of the continuity from the original uh, animated series into these animated shows because... Um, you can say what you will about some of the storytelling on the animated series, but they were so creative with their alien designs. There are so many fantastic ideas there that were impossible to translate to live action later down the road. So they kind of got lost to the sands of time in a way. Um, it's funny, you know, I've mentioned on the show that my, uh, my friend's young son worked his way through TOS, uh, both the series and the movies, and was kind of in a depressed phase now he's not quite ready to jump into tng he's still mourning the end of the journey with kirk and crew and i said to my friend parv i said well you know there's the animated series which continues on with kirk and crew and she's just like he's not interested in that <laughs> and i my heart broke oh <laughs> it, i was like <laughs> you might have enjoyed it i'm like come on give it a chance it's written by the, like a lot of the same people that wrote tos and she's just like He's not watching that. I'm like, oh, God. Okay. <laughs> My poor TOS. When I can't make uh, the animated series seem appealing to a 12-year-old, I just know I'm lost in life at trying to sell this show. But um, I, I am really happy that Lower Decks has found really fun ways to continue some of these characters and alien species into this show. Like, it wasn't just dropping them in the background or putting them in the background on a um, you know piece of paper, like a picture or something. They've done that, but they've also... Like this, you know, episode, for example, having Sherry Yen Yem show up as an actual character, you know, the driving force of an episode is just really exciting. I do want to walk back on something I, I said a moment ago. I, I looked up the Wikipedia entry for Star Trek Prodigy. Wikipedia, at least, says that it is uh, set in the Delta Quadrant with the uh, crew making their way to the Alpha Quadrant. So, okay. yeah, so uh, I don't know. Who, who knows? Maybe there's... um holodeck sort of possibilities to bring back uh, familiar alpha quadrant aliens as well so uh, we'll have to watch speaking of uh, familiar uh aliens from the delta quadrant uh cam we finally got to see borg babies once again it's been way too long we last saw them in star trek voyager um watching boimler treat this simulation like many people would treat like a uh, open world video game and what she just want to get like 100 percent on everything i like the fact that um boimler is competent to the point that it hurts him you know like that to me is funny and like uh, I, I thought it would have just been kind of like one of those roll your eyes situations if you know uh, just like everyone else Boimler was failing at his task here um, but like we, we even got you know kind of like like we alluded to the uh, the board queen shout out but even the es- escape sphere as he called it like that was kind of fun stuff and him just playing around with the uh, the little red dots laser beam from the eye from another Borg like that that's the kind of stuff like playing within the Star Trek universe that I keep getting drawn into well, I think what this episode did really well was allowed us to visit elements of Star Trek that are incredibly iconic and viewers want to see. Like I looked at the IMDb rating for this episode and it seems like people are responding very strongly to this one in comparison to most of their episodes this season. 
And it's not a surprise to me because you look at Discovery, right? And they're like, people love the mirror universe. Let's do that. And it just feels like kind of exhausting the way that they do it. They have to build multiple episodes around it, probably to justify the cost of all the sets and all that sort of stuff, all the costumes. But like here, we could just flash to it for a few minutes, get all the iconic imagery and have fun with it for like a few minutes. And it actually delivers, at least for me, the same kind of pleasures I would get as sitting through, you know, four hours of discovery storytelling doing the same thing. And I like that they did a Borg story without me having to spend multiple episodes on the Borg cube in Picard or showing me the mirror universe without having to spend four episodes there in season one discovery. It just is able to jump around and deliver those things, make them feel true to the spirit of Star Trek, but not get like, you know, bogged down in them. Well, it's not as if like there's just this ton of weight on Star Trek Mm -hmm. lower decks when it's going into like these little corners of the galaxy, especially if it's in like a, what, like a 60 second simulation like that's kind of why i I think it lends itself to you know just uh jumping into like kind of these very familiar settings which is (laughs) pretty pretty fun uh think about it like we we even got like shout outs to the wrath of khan in uh the engineering sequence with rutherford and then we also got the um as uh one captain freeman calls it an oldie but a goodie when it was escaping from space stock uh as a shout out to uh one star trek 3 the search for spock so like this kind of like these are the kind of brief moments that you can play around with that like like what if you tried doing that, you know, in, I don't know, Star Trek Voyager? It would have been like, uh, wow, you have to build your entire episode around like one or two sequences, which this is just not necessary with Lower Decks. Or the whole thing would have been set in Shea Paris. <laughs> yeah, that would have been an interesting shout out to the search for Spock. <laughs> and you look at just the visual, you know, dynamic nature of this episode. And we've talked about all these simulations, but like... Look at the sequences that when they take um, the drill sergeant there on the mission, or not even a mission, but just to encounter the crystalline entity, or when they're in the black hole, and the black hole looks a lot like the black hole sequence from the motion picture, and the animators are just having the time of their life making these sequences feel like something you would have seen in the other Star Trek shows and movies, but working them into the fabric of this show and making it all feel seamless. Like, I think just... And on an artistic level, this is probably the high point of the season. Well, I, I agree with you uh, for that. Even just that moment where uh, the Cerritos warped away from the lower decks as they're standing on that uh, little uh, satellite thingy and <laughs> were left behind. Like, that just looked like uh, just beautiful imagery there. So, I, I don't know. Like, I, I really want to uh, give my... Uh, you know, tip my hat to what they've been able to accomplish so far. Um, let, let's hope they can keep up the momentum. Just because I think this season, I still can't explain it, but it, this the season started out rough, and that genuinely shocked me because I thought they had figured out uh, what they wanted to do by the end of season one. I just don't understand how, when you look at this episode and the previous one, which are very confident and they have really strong concepts for their stories, how we get an episode like that one a few ago where it was like four different stories happening at the same time. It's like, how did that happen? So, like, my best guess is, uh, you know, you, you kick off the writer's room, everyone shoots out, like, uh, and this is before you write a single episode throughout the entire season. You, you, you've you got probably, like, what, like, a hundred different ideas, and for a time, you're, you're cramming them all into, like, the first couple episodes, because you want to get them all out there, and then by the time you're rolling into the last half, you're like, well, we've used up so many, let's just, like 
focus on like one particular thread and then follow the crew like that's my best guess as to what happened here like i otherwise like i just it's happened both seasons like the seasons have eventually become less manic and the show improves uh doing that you know like i i wish that they can carry that into season three and like just focus on one thread mm-hmm. yeah and this season's been weird where like I don't know that I would say the premiere was manic, like it was not very good, but it felt fairly focused on what it was doing. But it was like they kept creeping back to their earlier impulses from when the show first started as the season kept progressing. It's almost like they forgot their confident tone. Yeah, I I mean, watching that premiere episode, we didn't really laugh at anything. Um, and we were bouncing back and forth between like, I think it was like three or four different storylines as well. So that's kind of what I'm referring to when I'm talking about kind of the manic uh, nature of those uh, er- early batch of episodes. So look, it, they, they found their groove, apparently, at least, you know, like kind of uh, for at least two episodes. Uh, we also know that last season, they went off really strong with their final two episodes, which were, I think they're you know, two best episodes of the entire series up until this point. So it's going to be interesting as we get to the home stretch uh, moving forward. Um, a couple of questions, though, for you, Cam. If anybody else did, like, a shout-out to the motion picture with that black hole sequence, like, I think you could easily accuse Discovery or you could accuse Deep Space Nine of making fun of the motion picture, and it would really stick out. You can't do that seriously without you just assuming that the creators are... Um, kind of mocking the motion picture. Whereas I think it's fine if Laura Dex does do like a shout out to that. It is kind of, um, it's not explicitly mocking the motion picture, but it is having fun within what was established in kind of the visual canon of the franchise. Yeah. And I actually watched the 4K transfer of the motion picture just uh, about a week ago. And weirdly, that sequence looks beautiful in 4K. (laughs) Of all the sequences to really jump out, you know, that you really notice the improvement in a 4K transfer, that black hole sequence was really beautiful. (laughs) I did not expect that. Is it hilarious that that is like the biggest action sequence of the entire film? Yeah, it is pretty funny. And it's one that is, it feels shoehorned in. It's not particularly organic to what's going on in the story. (laughs) I think what happened, they just like said, like, warp speed ahead. We've hit a black hole. We've passed through the black hole. Continue on with our adventure. It was just like, <laughs> there's no point to it. I mean, you cannot say that it's there to show that Kirk is out of practice with being a captain because he's the one that makes the decision that leads into that. So character-wise, it's okay, but it does feel a little random. Yeah. I got a question for you, Cam. Uh, I think you pronounced it correctly. You cr- well, at least you pronounced it the same way that I do. Uh, crystalline entity. That's how Mariner said it. But every single other person on the bridge called it crystalline entity, which irked me to no end. I didn't know what to make of that. That was one of those sabotage. Was it the sabotage? Sabotage. Kind of you say sabotage. Yeah. I say so- sabotage. Or maybe a better example is really the multiple pronunciations of Leia in the first Star Wars movie, where people are saying Leia, Leia, you know, like there's various um, pronunciations. What about Mugatu? (laughs) Sure, yeah, okay, there's another great one. And I'm not sure if that's a joke, like a very sly, stealth joke within the episode, or if it's just actors not knowing how to pronounce it, but my guess is the former. Yeah, that, that's what my guess is as well. Like, they could have, like, because the thing is, like, I know that Tawny Newsom is, like, a huge Star Trek fan. She watches the series uh, religiously. Like, she's always been into it. So 
I feel very confident that she was pronouncing it correctly. And it was just kind of funny. She was the only one who's doing so. And she's the only one that I know for a fact who is a big Star Trek fan. Speaking of which, I was just thinking about it, like, isn't it weird that the uh, the official Star Trek podcast, it, it's not running while Lower Decks is on? <laughs> like, yeah. what do you think? Like, it, it the podcast is hosted by two of the uh, actors who are on Lower Decks, it, like Paul F. Tompkins and, and Tawny Newsom. Like, I... I don't understand why it's not running. I just really don't understand these official podcasts that run for like eight episodes. It's always kind of weird to me. Um, you know, like I'm looking forward to when they come back for their next season. But uh, do you maintain listenership when you like put out eight episodes and then just vanish again? It well, seems I, weird. I guess it's more of a marketing thing like that. So w- yeah. when th- there's that amazing, amazing HBO miniseries a few years back, back in 2019 at Chernobyl, and they had like a podcast running simultaneously and they just had the creator of the show come on after every episode. And he just explained how they uh, maintained historical accuracy. So you got fan engagement there and it's a miniseries. Like, so you don't need it to continue on for seasons and after seasons, but it is a marketing tool. But w- what's the marketing tool for Lower Decks if you like... The official podcast is not running when Lower Decks is going. Like, we haven't had Star Trek on since, uh, I guess, when uh, Discovery wrapped up back in the spring. And then I think um, then we had the podcast go on sometime after, I believe, uh, Discovery wrapped up. I might have things a little bit uh, mixed up there, but it's it's just very strange to me, like, that they, they wouldn't capitalize on this. I can't tell if it's a time issue or if it's that they want to put a very small amount of money into this. And so those two hosts, you can only do a set number of episodes or they're only willing to pay a set number of episodes. So here's the problem. It is very obvious that they recorded all their interviews like um, like a year ago. Like, I'm not kidding. And then they came back and did like these bumpers kind of saying like oh yeah here's our interview with so and so with michelle yo and um you know she's such a great host or such a great guest blah 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 like I, why not just hold those interviews a, a couple months longer for when lower decks is on yeah yeah or with michelle yo like discovery or whatever yeah i don't i don't know it i don't really understand um the, you and I have debated what the official Star Trek podcast is for a while, and I mean long before its current form. Um, it's something that I just don't think CBS has quite cracked yet. <laughs> well, uh, I remember the first one that they had, which was called Engage, is hosted by Jordan Hoffman. And um, I'm not trying to be mean, but like that was a terrible podcast. And like, the, I wasn't like the first or second episode is like him and another guy right after the premiere of star trek discovery they sat down and gave their first reactions while they're eating cheeseburgers at a counter in a restaurant yeah like it it, it sounded terrible and and you could hear them eating and you're like this is your official star trek podcast and then from there they had no raison d'etre ever like it was just like one episode is like hey um let's talk about some of the star trek board games um that are out there they're like, okay, so you got 15 minutes out of that, you know, and it's kind of like they're thinking about the what, you know, the what of it all, but not why it matters. And that's kind of what um, irked me a little bit. But the direction, like, like you said, I, I just don't think that there's any real direction coming from Paramount in, in this instance. 
Um, I like season one of um, the most recent iteration of that podcast. Um, it is novel. They had some uh, big stars like uh, one uh, Ben Stiller come in and just talk about their passion for Star Trek. But season two, I just like, I don't like it really kind of dropped off a cliff and, and like you had a lot of people saying like, yeah, I like Star Trek. I'll talk to you about how I became like I went from dancer to uh, actor in Hollywood. And I'm just like, oh, OK. <laughs> and that was you, right? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm still working on my dancing. Like I've not given that up. You know, uh, I, I, I want to perfectly recreate uh, Crusher and Data doing tap dance in the holodeck. Yeah, I remember the Engage podcast. Um, they ran into the problem too, where like Jordan Hoffman, I actually really like his film criticism work. I think he's a very strong writer. And the problem was like, if you're the official Star Trek podcast, you can't really be critiquing Star Trek episodes. Like it just, CBS ain't going to be thrilled about it. Um, they can't be like us, you know, cracking uh, Vedic Brile jokes in episodes and things like that. And so I think what you want to do is provide you know information about the franchise that fans can't get elsewhere like you know access the cbs vaults and bring some things to the forefront that fans will be excited about behind the scenes on lower decks interviews with people who worked on discovery before the season came out that sort of thing um that sort of access that regular podcasts can't do it's just it's a hard thing to do it's a hard thing to walk that line between um like entertaining behind the scenes stuff and infotainment. Well, I, I was just thinking about like what Ron Moore used to do with Battlestar Galactica in like the very, very, very early days of podcasting. Like we're talking like 2007, maybe even 2006. Essentially, he would just drop an audio file on the official uh, website and it was just him uh, sitting in bed with his wife. And um, she would often just ask a lot of um, like, very obvious questions but i think it's because she was guiding him along to say like explain that decision or explain how that actor ended up uh uh getting that role and uh why does the costuming uh, look like this in this scene and that in another scene and it was really like kind of behind the scenes look at how the show works from kind of very logistical perspective almost and he he was so candid about like the failures of the show as well there's no way that anyone like nowadays in TV of the 2020s is ever going to have anything but glowing remarks to say about their TV shows. They're not going to like make fun of it. A lot of those Joss Whedon uh, commentaries are very self-deprecating. Um, so those were good to listen to. That just doesn't happen anymore. And uh, But if that can't happen, it would have been great to just have like the writer of this episode. I think it was Anna Kim. Uh, she did this one and it would have been great to just hear from her talking about you know what were the other potential missions other than you know like uh, naked time or old west or wrath of khan like there could have been like other adventures that they were thinking in, in uh, of that could have been like super iconic that just didn't make the cut here like that would be kind of the stuff that i'd be interested in hearing kind of from like a behind the scenes perspective without having to be super critical of some of the failures what other moments were there in naked time we could have seen <laughs> uh well i you know the fact that they had people getting blown out of the airlock um at the very end like that to me is just like perfect like that that you're really yeah i, I guess that's naked now uh versus naked time but um more so but like i, I just like i did you could definitely tell it that people really care about like the the dumb little things about this universe and like as long as you're seizing on the dumb little things that most people kind of like shrug off and can like make entire like i don't know one to three minute sequences around that and it, the jokes pay off like I, I i'm down for this show like 
this season started off a little rough, but it wasn't like you and I were hating it at any point. Like, like we were just kind of like, and even if an episode wasn't super strong, there, there's so many moments where we could just like, you know, dig into and, and really appreciate. Yeah, like there's no bad episode this season. There's one notable one that was very mediocre, but there's no like, there ain't nothing in this season that's like season one or two TNG quality where you hit some of the low points there. Oh, I thought you were talking about like nothing but uh, measure of a man. Oh, yeah. Well, we haven't quite gotten our measure of a man here. Okay. Well, it, it wasn't the premiere. That's what we know. No, um, definitely yeah. not. No. But you go back to like early seasons of TNG, you know, when you've got like that old Admiral episode, things like that. There's nothing in Lower Decks like that. Well, I, and like what would have been the disaster version of Lower Decks? You know, it, it, would it have been... Um, Okay, so uh, you know how you know the Onion, the uh, satirical newspaper. Mm -hmm. It is absolutely hilarious and cutting with its jokes. Like, uh, but I remember like CBC, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, they tried to do their own version, and it was just absolutely pilloried for how unfunny it was. It was like there would he be headlines of, um, you know, like uh, Mounties try to stop money laundering system and then it have like a photo of like money hanging on clotheslines like oh my god yes. are you serious i'm serious and it was just like people were just ridiculing like this um effort mercilessly because people are like really we're spending our tax dollars uh for those that don't know uh cbc is a, a public broadcaster here and so we're paying tax dollars for something with absolutely zero, zero artistic merit. Like, we can debate artistic merit, but you could tell this is just like, it was like your uncle coming up with jokes. Like, there's no funny person involved. So I'm wondering if, like, that could have been the disaster version of Lower Decks, where it's just something where it was just way too reverential for Star Trek and all the jokes, like the punchlines you could, like, um, see coming from a mile away. Yeah, that's always the worst where, I mean, you and I have seen enough movie trailers for <laughs> very poor comedies where the punchline is, <laughs> you can see it coming about, you know, 10 seconds before it lands. And that's the sort of thing that would have been brutal. Also, you know, we've talked about some of the really, really frantic storytelling in season one, the first handful of episodes where it's just chaos going on visually. I could see that as well. Like they're just overwhelming people with just kind of just action scenes and like jokes that aren't funny well like those first four episodes is like every single episode climaxed with like an alien force invading the ship and i don't know it's just like like I, I could never tell what was even going on like it is kind of brutal yeah and i could also see them really just going crazy with like some of the like what are the really old cliche star uh, star trek jokes to make like i don't know kirk being like the ladies man with aliens on missions like that's their joke i could see things like that that people are like oh my god kind of like um you know how like uh big bang theory does that sort of thing oh yeah but he, here's a joke for you i just came up with what what if um the crew is uh, on a planet freeman hits her comm badge and says four to beam up and then the transporter chief says back you didn't say scotty and it's just like, mm, those yeah. are the kind of jokes that would have just been like, absolutely like mind numbing to have to listen to. And that was my best joke that I could have come up with all day long, Cam. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, thank God we dodged that bullet. Uh, you know, Alex Kurtzman isn't known for his uh, comedy stylings, but um, 
I'm very happy handed it off to people that could genuinely write funny comedy. What are you talking about? I thought uh, Sukal was the funniest thing that we saw on Discovery uh, through its entire run. Well, to be fair, Sukal has spawned the most laughter between the two of us because um, Sukal images are passed back and forth, either in text message from you to I or back and forth, but also within like groups and things like that we're a part of. So, mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm, okay. Well, Cam, well, look, we've got a special guest coming up in just, uh, well, right now. So uh, why don't we carry this conversation on in just the next few seconds? Sounds good. And beaming in on the USS Cerritos, it is one Waylon Schnetker. You joined us uh, not too long ago talking about your overall thoughts uh, on uh, Star Trek Lower Decks. But uh, Waylon, uh, you are here to join us on iXcretus. First of all, thanks for joining us on the show this week. Hey, thanks for having me again. So tell me a little bit. Okay, before we get into this particular episode, uh, we are eight episodes into season two of Lower Decks. Where are you on this season so far? Uh, so I just watched uh, the eighth episode. And what are you feeling kind of like about the season? Just uh, maybe versus where we were at uh, back in season one. Um, it's it's taking uh, more risks, that's for sure. The last episode, there was like a full-on orgy. <laughs> um, well, I don't know what you consider to be a risk, but that's just <laughs> daily life for me. So. I was actually surprised. I was like, um, I didn't think... Like who who actually approves what they can show? Like who who is the showrunner? I do. Well, Mike McMahon is a showrunner, um, but there's of course like studio execs. I think like Alex Kurtzman is kind of the shepherd of Star Trek right now. I I it's a streaming show. It's kind of billed as an adult comedy. I think they're you know look if they're willing to put like black censorship boxes across someone's opened buttocks in uh this episode i don't know how many limits there are on the show yeah. you know like they do like bleep out square words uh, while they do uh they don't censor f-bombs on discovery so i think they have a lot of leeway considering it's kind of the streaming platform yeah and don't get me wrong like i'm not that's not a complaint at all um i'm just you know it's such a well, well the, the censor box was your yeah. only complaint yeah <laughs> We're not children, damn it! Um, I, I don't know. It's like a, it's like a family. It seems like a really a family franchise. So the fact that they were doing that was pretty impressive. Um, but is it a family franchise? Picard, Discovery. I don't know. Like, is Star Trek a family franchise anymore? Oh yeah. I well, I actually haven't gone too far into those, and I only just started watching um, Enterprise. Sure. Okay. I mean, Enterprise is mostly family friendly. You know, there's a couple episodes in there that maybe parents don't want to show their kids. But um, with like Discovery and Picard, like they've really doubled down on like a lot of like R-rated content. And I guess if you're Lower Decks and you have that sort of free reign, you might as well just exploit it for comedic purposes as opposed to like some of the stupid violence in like Discovery. Oh, yeah. Well, Cam, like, uh, like a podcast I think you and I should do at some point. We've always kind of scratched the surface on it, but like, who is Star Trek for exactly? <laughs> like, just going through the different eras, like who the audience was meant to be. Because I, I, at this point, I, I struggle with who the streaming shows are for uh, at all times. You know, like, I, Lower Decks is for me. It's for uh, you, you know, but uh, Star Trek... Um, 
Picard? Like, I, I don't know who they're trying to, you know, grab as the audience for that particular series. Well, maybe I'll turn that to Waylon. You know, you said you haven't really watched those shows. How come? Um, I, I started watching Discovery and it didn't quite hook me. It got to the episode with the tardigrades and uh, kind of couldn't, couldn't get behind that. Um, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Landry delivering the line snug as a bug in a rug did not make you just want to binge this series from I there think I on blacked out. out and smashed a window actually but <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you made the Sukal face uh, and then with well for Picard actually um, I was just watching people's reactions and nobody really seemed to be that enthusiastic about it and so i held nope. off watching it myself but what i don't know what do you guys think i i think for us binge watching picard worked a lot better than trying to determine exactly what the show was trying to accomplish week to week which um is very obvious uh even the producers admitted it after the season like they didn't have a plan ahead of time they're just kind of making it up as they went along and there's actually a lot of last minute rewrites especially for the final two episodes so i don't know like, like it's easier to watch if you just binge watch it that like i i don't think it lends itself to weekly viewing uh, cam what's your kind of broader take uh, like discovery is a show that i was really invested in for the first couple seasons and it lost me in the third but they are weird shows like i i struggle to recommend them to people because they feel like the sort of thing that if you have a relationship with the franchise you're kind of filling in the gaps in a lot of ways like tyler you and i are watching season two which features some legacy characters of on discovery and, and also Picard season one as well. And we're having conversations about the evolution of some of those characters and how they wound up where they did on those shows. But if I was like a real casual fan, I don't know that that's someone who would get anything out of these shows, really. Well, the thing I keep thinking about is that you watch Deep Space Nine and there's so little techno babble on that show. Like it's all about character mm. dynamics. Whereas do you remember episode two, Cam, of Picard? And it was like that Matlock episode in which they were just like um, doing all that exposition about like these strange alien names and computer words and and like that, you know, one Patrick Stewart had to deliver and even he couldn't save it. It just sounded stupid and silly. And I'm just wondering, like, th is that not going to just put off a lot of like new potential uh, viewers like that just might be very curious about what uh, this very iconic, you know, television character might be up to now? Uh, I just think for a lot of people, it's like people tune in, they want to see Captain Picard, and they don't get that, and that loses them pretty quickly. Oh, yeah. yeah. But, um, but uh, back to Lower Decks, though. Um, I, at this point in season one, I think Cam and I were, were very energized by the direction of the show. Um, season two started off rough, um, but in the last two episodes, Cam and I, we, we've both really been more um, energized by it. No, no pun intended. <laughs> Uh, what's your overall take, uh, you know, eight episodes into this, uh, second season of Lower Decks? I don't know. I, it's, seems about the same. I really liked season one. Um, it seems like the dynamics are established between the different characters and we've, for the most part, gotten over the whole, my mother's the captain sort of drama. 
um, which I didn't really enjoy that part. Um, and this, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, you guys will know better than I do, but uh, this season seems to have a ton of cameos and references to the other shows. Is that true? I, I would say yes, but um, I think there's a lot of that going on in season one as well. But uh, Cam, do you, have you noticed if it's kind of um, gone up uh, to any couple degrees? I feel like in season one, there was episodes that were very strong on references, but then there was some that had far fewer. Whereas I feel like this season, outside of the premiere, they've just worked in organically a lot more references, just episode to episode. I was just, I was going to ask... Um... With the one episode, the spy humongous, is that what it's called? Yeah. What are those creatures in that episode? And what are they from the original <laughs> series? Uh, they're from the next generation. I think it was like a season two episode. I'm blanking on the name, but they were established essentially as a species that all they do is go and like uh, violently accumulate other species technology because they're so dumb, they can't invent it for themselves. So they are essentially the dumbest space-faring uh, aliens out there. And they were pretty stupid, um, both literally and figuratively, uh, back in the day. And they've really seized on them in Discovery as kind of like the running joke. Like, let's have our crew go up against the dumbest aliens in space. <laughs> so I've, I've kind of enjoyed the pack leads. But um, uh, you seem not nearly as delighted by having these dumb aliens uh, pop up in so many episodes. Me? No, I enjoyed yeah. it. I thought it was great. Okay, okay, yeah. And the sh they were from Samaritan Snare, right? That's the TNG episode? That's, I think you are correct on that one, yeah. yes. Yeah, so, um, but with regards to I Excretius, uh, this week's episodes, um, were there any highlights for uh, you, Waylon? Like, just stuff that jumped out to you, or, I don't know, even, even lowlights, stuff that made you kind of like, I don't know, uh, hold your nose to a certain degree at the comedy? Aside from the orgy, right? <laughs> well, uh, aside from the orgy, but your high point. Yeah. Well, I was curious. What, uh, what is the the consultant that they have? What race is that? Oh, that is oh. a Pendronian, I believe. And um, I don't think you've ever watched the animated series, like featuring the uh, the original crew. Have you, Waylon? No. So this this is featured. Um, the character Bem was the first Pandronian, and uh, Cam, I believe you and I watched it just a couple of weeks ago because we're yeah. ranking the worst episodes of Star Trek ever. And Bem, um, well, he appeared in like uh, the eponymous episode. Uh, in it's considered like one of the worst ever. But Cam, you and I, we actually thought it was kind of a harmless, delightful little yeah. adventure. Yeah, I always enjoyed that episode. And uh, James Doohan, who played Scotty, voices the character and does a really good vocal performance. I always liked the episode Bem. I don't know. But that's what I wonder. It's like, Cam, like you and I are hardcore into this in, in that, like, we know episode titles, uh, you know, like uh, pretty easily. We can recognize a lot of aliens. And Waylon, like you're a big fan, but like a lot of this stuff, it's got to be going over your head. Being like, like even into Star Trek the way that you are, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, that's the beauty about being able to come on here and ask you guys the questions. But uh, I want to highlight was um, the Borg Queen, Alice Krieg. Yeah, yeah. Alice Krieger. Krieger. Um, just, yeah, having her be a cameo was pretty pretty rad and uh, interacting with Boimler. Um, but yeah, I, like, a lot of them I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to do research on these later. Like, the Duplers? What the hell are those? Are those a thing? That's new. Is that new? Okay. 
So, I don't know, like, has there been anything that you guys, you're like, I don't, I don't know what that is. That's tons, tons. I think, uh, Cam, was it Kayshawn in which they had the, uh, collector, uh, species, uh, just have all of those, like, tons and tons of different artifacts from across the galaxy. And you and I were just kind of shrugging our shoulders because, like, we, we figured there must have been stuff that we should know, but I don't know. I, I recognize the headgear that, uh. Uh, Riker bought, brought back from Ryza in that episode, the game. But other than that, I was just I was lost at times. Yeah, that was a good episode. I think the, I think prior to the last two weeks, uh, Kayshawn uh, was my favorite episode personally. Yeah, I liked the one with Tom Paris. That's pretty strong as well. Yeah, I think those are probably the two best ones um, prior to maybe the last two outings. But um, I don't know so, some additional like little highlights for me though is. Uh, the uh, the senior officers uh, just cooing about how easy it is to be uh, an ensign, you know, like, hey, I just stood in the transporter bay all all day and, <laughs> in case somebody needed to be transported. Like, that's the sort of stuff, you know, just almost making fun of uh, Chief O'Brien to a certain degree. Yeah. <laughs> I was a big fan of Mirror Boimler doing the gasp and point like Donald Sutherland in Invasion of the Body Snatchers. That got a laugh out of me. Oh, did I he? did appreciate well, uh, Mir Boimler couldn't grow a goatee either. Mm, um, yeah. So <laughs> I can believe that. Uh, oh, yeah. I completely like, forgot about that little scene. That's so good. But like, Waylon, you know, when you look at the season so far, did this episode rank highly? Like, did you enjoy this one or? Um, it was good. Uh, gosh, just thinking back. the Yeah, Kayshawn was probably my top pick as well just because of all those little artifact cameos and like how they work um yeah i i think i would rank it like three with uh oh maybe yeah the tom paris one being two right yeah uh, well, I got to ask both you guys. I- I'll throw this out there. You know, like we did have the Borg uh, featured here. Uh, you mentioned Waylon. Of course, the Borg Queen is back for another appearance. And, um, well, like, is there room for a Borg story in modern Star Trek that could still make them interesting at this point? Or are they just too, I guess, like, neutered by all of the other adventures that we've seen them just be decimated again and again and again like i i i I keep going back and forth on on whether there's any more room for the borg story to be told what what do you guys figure uh personally i would say no just because i don't think you can get a lot of character development out of them i think people want to see characters like especially bad guys that you can kind of root for or see that them grow somehow in modern television and with the borg unless you have something like the borg queen where it's like not so robotic um it's hard to get that does that make sense like you want to be able to kind of um like have a single character manifest and kind of follow their journey the thing i liked about the borg though early on though is because they were so dominant uh they looked like an unstoppable force, you know, and it wasn't necessarily about kind of uh, the characters like, say, one Ducat from Deep Space Nine, 
who was just like a compelling force of nature is that the Borg in and of themselves, like it was dealing with what it would bring out of the characters that you were following because you just did not know how to defeat them. The problem was that they've been defeated so many times since then. It's just kind of you shrug your shoulders. But mm-hmm. Kim, what, what's your take on kind of the, uh, the potential future for the Borg? I think it's really tough because the Borg were the most effective when they were scary. But when you revisit the boogeyman too many times, they're no longer scary. You know, you look at um, Michael Myers in the original Halloween and then cut back to Michael Myers in part six, you know, like it's, you lose that impact and the Borg, those first few appearances are so legendary. And I think Voyager managed to sustain it for a little bit with like Scorpion and Dark Frontier. But by the time you're getting to like Unimatrix Zero and the finale and stuff, yeah, I, I I don't know what you do with them at this point. Um, you can continue to try to examine what sort of state they're in at this point in time, but they lose the impact they were were known and so famous for initially. So I don't know. It, I don't know that they can make them. I think you could probably get some interesting Borg stories, but I don't think you're going to grab people with them the way you were able to before. I think the best thing that they can do, though, is don't go bigger with the Borg, but go smaller. Like, what if there's just, like, kind of a small one-off story in which uh, a Starfleet officer and a Borg drone are trapped on other sides of a force field? And it's really a a bit of a, a battle of ingenuity between them about who can... Um, you know, get themselves out of this trap first because one's going to destroy the other. Like, you know, it's that could make the Borg very scary again. It, the drone could appear to be very competent. Um, like, I think that could be the type of story that we need versus like um, Star Trek uh, Picard season three. Let the Borg invasion begin once again. I'm just like, yeah, whatever. Like, I. I I like more of the one-off kind of appearances like we got here in this last week's episode. Have they ever explained the like where the Borg came from? V'ger, obviously. Well, no, <laughs> don't say that, Cam. <laughs> it's it's too many people on Facebook. It's like it, I notice like all the Facebook groups. It's like people just keep rephrasing the same twenty questions again and again. This has been going on for ever since Facebook started. But uh, one of the theories is that. Um, V'ger started the Borg, uh, and V'ger, of course, is the uh, probe from Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Um, so maybe I, I guess what you're alluding to, though, Waylon, is maybe there's kind of a Borg origin story to tell there. Yeah, I think a lot of people would like to know that. For, I mean, if there's Facebook groups that are theorizing for sure, I wouldn't call them groups so much as um, wild um yelps from people that mash their keyboards together occasionally (laughs) and like uh words come out (laughs) so um fellas before we wrap up though i i want to ask you it it, have either one of you been following the new apple tv series foundation yes no okay so uh we're, we're two episodes into this and I was listening to another podcast, and, and I will relate this back to Star Trek. Don't worry, Cam, though. And, and I will bring it up in that uh, Sidig Alfadil, he does have a guest appearance in the series premiere of Foundation. That is the big new um, uh, sci-fi series from the book by uh, Isaac Asimov. Um, it, the, the budget for this looks extraordinary. I, I can't imagine. Like You can tell watching Picard and Discovery that they have big budgets. I, it looks as if Foundation has a, a budget like... Um, 
five times, ten times the size of it. It's a show that looks absolutely extraordinary. Um, I, it's not a show I could ever imagine being like uh, as compelling though, because like it's all about kind of events versus like real character growth and character developments and like david goyer who is one of the uh co-developers of the show he says that he has an eight season plan for foundation eight seasons what eight seasons yes (laughs) and to me that that's frightening that's frightening and that like his plan that what he's talking about though is is plot he's plotted out eight seasons and i think that could make a series gets like really kind of rigid in its storytelling if everything has to fall in line with xyz like what if you know you find a couple characters that have some sort of chemistry or they something with the actors kind of um drive a spark that makes you want to go in a different direction but you've got this eight-year plan ahead and cam back me up though it's been pretty obvious that they've kind of been making things up as they go along with discovery and picard i don't necessarily think um uh, an eight-year plan for either of those series would have actually made them any better, though. But um, uh, before I, I, I get your thoughts on this kind of uh, storytelling sort of deal, Cam, um, what's your overall takeaway two episodes into Foundation, uh, Waylon? Okay, I misspoke. I didn't mean that I actually watched those episodes. I've just been interested in watching it because I, oh, okay. I read the book and or the first book. Well, okay, let me ask you this then, because I, I haven't read uh, read the Asimov series, though. And from my understanding, though, isn't it just kind of a series of vignettes? Um, gosh, how does that... I can't really say anything without spoiling it for people that might want to watch. It's, um, okay. it's definitely really, uh, from like a timeline, it's quite nebulous. And... Um, it does make sense as you're reading, but yeah, like you were saying, as a as a TV series, it might be hard to just give the characters any sort of um, connected relationships. I, I don't think it's a spoiler, but correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it does take place over like a, a very extended time period, right? Yeah. Like we're talking thousands of years. Uh, yeah, it's... Um... In which I don't know how that lends itself to storytelling that you can be invested in, especially for me. I'm drawn to character-based stories rather than plot-driven sorts of stories. So that's kind of why I'm a little bit um, fearful of the show. But I wonder what it speaks to kind of Star Trek's plan, which the the thing is that we're enjoying more um, about Discovery or Picard Cam is is a lot of the character dynamics. There are some good characters from Picard, even if we uh, have mostly been like, so so on the show but what's your overall takeaway and like kind of these uh show creators coming out and saying i've got an eight-year plan um i'm like eight years who has time for that but uh i somehow doubt it it's the sort of thing when i hear it it sounds great in the press because people go oh well it's all planned out perfectly i remember george lucas used to say that i have the next three star wars prequels all planned out and it was very clear that wasn't the case I think there's little bits and pieces he may have in his mind of, I want this to happen at this point, or I want this to be the ending. But I don't really buy when they say, I have it planned out. I don't think they're sitting there with blueprints really connecting all the pieces. Yeah, well, in the case of Foundation, it is based off uh, Asimov's uh, book series. So I I can buy that 
you know, David Goyer might, but I don't think it lends itself well to storytelling, though. Like, that's kind of the problem. It could work in the same sense. I don't know, if you were to think of it as two series running in parallel, for example, if you had TNG and Enterprise, they both came out at the exact same time, that could be kind of interesting to compare the differences in technology. For example, I'm watching Enterprise now, and I'm just like, oh, wow, that's how they... And, you know, initially got into the galactic-wide space race, essentially. And if they did something on that sort of scale, that could be cool. Uh, I think you're just going to be blown away, uh, Waylon, when you get to the episode in which we meet the inventor of the transporter. <laughs> I knew oh. you were going to go for that. Yeah, yes. I knew you were going to cite that one. <laughs> um, Waylon, spoiler, it's not a very good episode. I knew it. I knew it. Okay. Don't worry. It, it's many seasons away. So um, just as we wrap up here, uh, any final thoughts on uh, episode eight of Star Trek Discovery, folks? Lower decks. Oh, uh, you know what? The, that's how much this episode stuck in my head, right? <laughs> <laughs> what do we got? Two two episodes left? Yeah. There's 10. Uh, didn't they already get approved for season three or is that wrong? That's nope. correct. They are uh, coming out with a season three, uh, presumably uh, next summer as well. Oh, excellent. Well, that's good news. Uh, I mean, these episodes are getting rated pretty high from what I saw the other day, um, and I've really enjoyed them. So I'm, I'm hoping for eight seasons. <laughs> well, they've got a plan. Yeah, <laughs> they've got a plan. <laughs> okay, so I think on that note, our assignment is complete. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you. Jump on over to the Facebook page at facebook.com/slash/subspacepod. Tyler, what are we doing next week? I think we're going to do episode nine of Star Trek Lower Decks, uh, the penultimate before the finale. Um, that's how smart I sound by using the word penultimate. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you can, of course, find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam, V is in V'ger created the Borg, Smith. You can find me at Reporton, that's R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N-N, -N, as in naked orgy time. I really thought you were going to say N as in, no, it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> And Waylon, where can we find you on social media? Oh, my goodness. Uh, my first and last name on Twitter, which is W-A-Y-L-O-N, and then S-N-E-D-K-E-R, Waylon Snedker. I make computer games. If you want to check out those. Hey, why don't you give us an official plug uh, of uh, the one that you've been working on for many a year, sir? Oh, thanks, Tyler. It's called Odd Realm. It's a settlement uh, survival simulation game. It's awesome. <laughs> And we'll have a link to that in the show notes for people to check that out. So, for awesome. sure. Thanks, guys. Okay, so until next time, the arena is closed.